It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to episode 123 of the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is your host, Stan Dryav, and the rear naked choke to my Dustin Poirier Championship aspirations, Nick Braccia. How are you, my friend? UFC 269 in the books, man. A fantastic night of cards, man. Uh, a night of fights, man. A bunch of bonuses were given out. I think Dana Wade ended up giving them out to eight fighters on this card, which which I'm glad because there were a bunch of exemplary, fantastic performances, man. Obviously, um, yeah, very no, very notable card. I took it on the chin. It was my worst picking performance ever. It was. Um, I think only one fight. That said, I mean, it wasn't like we had a ton of disagreements. It was just. It just, yeah, it, there were a lot of upsets. Um, we actually had, we actually so had. It is uh, what it is. I would say we had a, a handful of disagreements. We disagreed on the main event. We disagreed on Toivasa Sakai. We disagreed, I think, on Randy Costa, Tony Kelly, right? No, I, t- I had, I had Tony. Kelly. Oh, you had Tony Kelly as well. Um, yeah. and you had Costa originally, then you switched. That's right. I, I did. I, because I, I, I really had a hard time envisioning Tony Kelly getting finished in the first round. But and I thought that Randy Costa would have a great first round. He didn't, um, and I figured Tony Kelly would just take over once Randy Costa's exhausted. And it was certainly worth the two points at those odds. Uh, I think it was exactly plus one fifty on a lot of uh, bookies. So yeah, that one worked out for me. That was a two pointer. I ended up scoring with eight points, and you ended up scoring with only one on this one. So we are now seventeen points apart, my friend. But that was bad. Yeah, no joke. But it's at the end of the season, right? Like, like I was likely going to win this season anyhow. We start fresh in January, so last couple of events yeah. left this year. But, man, Charles Oliveira, Dustin Poirier, I did choo- uh, pick Charles Oliveira. I thought that he was going to be too dangerous in the first couple of rounds. And more importantly, the fact that Dustin Poirier, I talked last week about how he really, really, really struggled with a guy like Dan Hooker, who we see now is not elite. Right, he was taken down four times by Dan Hooker. He was taken down seven times by Khabib. He was submitted by Khabib. Right, Max Holloway fight was incredibly impressive, but it was purely standing. Max didn't really go for takedowns. And the Justin Gaethje fight was also really impressive. It was, but this is Justin Gaethje in his second UFC fight. Like, what do you expect? Dustin Poirier was like 15 UFC fights in it, I think, at that point. Like, it's an unreasonable expectation, I think. Uh, or maybe actually third UFC fight for Justin Gaethje, was it? Yeah, it was J- Gaethje's third UFC fight following the loss to Alvarez. So, like, the current version of Gaethje is a different animal in so many ways, right? And, and although, you know, he didn't show too much of that against Ch- uh, Chandler last time. Yeah, it's just uh, Poirier's lack of takedown defense was the reason I chose Oliveira. And the fact that Poirier, I don't think he's that great in grappling. And I think he's very finishable. And all of that kind of played out, man. The first round, Poirier hurt him like Chandler did. Uh, Oliveira, once again, showed that he's got heart, man. He's a different man than he was in, at 25, at 21. He sure, he sure is. Yeah, man. He, he um, you know, the two, the two upsets in the co-main event and the main event had something in common, which was... Take a licking and keep on ticking. They ate, they ate, but they neither guy stopped moving forward and throwing, throwing offense. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so Oliveira basically lost the first round, right? It was kind of back and forth. Oliveira was putting the pressure on, but Poirier was landing yeah, effective counter punches. Uh, yeah, he did he get ate, dropped. He ate big power shots. Yeah, it almost. But his pace, his pace was insane. It really was, man, and and you got you had to wonder, given Poirier's knack for going five rounds hard, and the fact that we haven't seen Oliveira go five rounds really yet, right? You would think that this was going to favor Poirier as the fight went down the stretch, but once he got I think that, we all did. 
Well, he, well, that's the thing. Once he Charles Oliveira got that second round takedown and completely just dominated and controlled that round, he won that round 10-8 on two of the judges' scorecards, right? Dustin Poirier clearly was afraid of the ground game because he, in a very old-school fashion, this is something that we haven't seen in probably 10 years in the UFC, where a high-level fighter just wants to keep his guard closed. Uh, you know what? We saw that with Blahovich versus Teixeira, another similar matchup where, uh, where uh, a, a guy was favored going up against a Brazilian grappler kept his guard closed before getting finished in the next round. And that's what happened here. Oliveira won that round 10-8, man. Decisive, decisive top position work from Oliveira before taking his back in the second round, in the third round, excuse me, locking in that rear naked choke. And that was all she wrote, man. Dustin Poirier is not an elite grappler. He's still, you know, in my opinion, an elite fighter. But this is one of those examples, and I've been talking about this for a while, right? We have the old guard versus the new guard of people at lightweight and also at 135, if it's the case. But in this division, right, guys like Charles Oliveira is part of the new guard. I know he's been here a while, but he was a young kid when he was losing, right? He is now in his prime. He's extremely dangerous, and he doesn't have a whole lot of holes. Dustin Poirier is part of the old guard, the Conor McGregor guard, right? The 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 guys that have a whole shitload of holes, that have a bunch of losses on their records, even in their primes. And, man, Charles Oliveira just showed up and showed that he was on a different level and that he was a deserving post-Khabib champion. He did. I mean, the thing that's that's going to be interesting is he's still very hittable, and he he takes a lot of shots and he gets hurt. It, what's gonna What's gonna happen? I mean, Gagey's going to touch that chin, and Gagey is maybe the hardest hitter. Will he be able to just shut him shut him off, or will Oliveira be, uh, be able to kind of keep you know keep eat it and keep coming? Well, um, yeah, that is the question. That's, that's it's going to be interesting for sure. But here's the thing. Gaethje has uh, an advantage in power and chin standing up. He's not the more technical fighter in that matchup. Oliveira is. Um, no. Oliveira is more hittable, I would say, unless Gaethje's in brawl mode. But on the ground, if Oliveira gets him to the ground, Nick, that fight's probably over that round. Like, I don't I mean, know, you could I, say the same thing about, about Conor McGregor. Like, I would say that I think Conor McGregor is a tough matchup for Oliveira. Well, again, the moment that fight hits the floor, if Conor can't finish, him I in the know, first round, but he gets, but Oliveira gets eats a he eats a lot of shots. He gets he his does. lights shut off, and then they flash back on. He's been down. But, this is the champion, and he's been knocked down like four times in the last in in his last four rounds of fighting. That's like that's playing. I'm not saying he's not great. He's obviously great, and he's got a, he's got championship heart. I'm just saying he gets knocked down a lot. Well, he he did get dropped by Chandler once and dropped by Poirier once, right? But in just not, once? I thought he got I thought he got dropped twice by Poirier, but um, maybe 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 you're right. I'll, I'll check the stats for at least what the official count is. But um, here's the thing: in neither of those cases is he just like dropping like he's unconscious, right? He's almost going down willingly, like after getting hit hard, almost like showing that hint of a lack of heart, like almost like oh, I don't want to do this anymore, and then. He's fine afterward, right? Like, he's not actually unconscious. If you look at the Chandler fight, if you replay that, yeah, Chandler landed some ground and pound, but he was moving the entire time. He wasn't unconscious at any moment, right? right. That, that wasn't like a Clay Guida from last week's situation where that fight should have been stopped and wasn't. This was, you know, in both of these cases, he looked, he was fine once he got dropped. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't think, I, he, he wasn't, I mean, I actually think that, um, Earlier in the earlier in the card, the Dominic Cruz knockdowns were much more egregious. Oh, I agree. Yeah, that 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 jab that he ran right into. But yeah, look, uh, Dustin Poirier again, too many holes, man. He, I, I think, like I spoke about this last week. I looked at his record. I examined every one of the, his latest wins, right? Every one of his latest performances. Conor McGregor's, McGregor's not elite, and let's face it, Nick, going into that first McGregor rematch in uh, in January of twenty one, January of this year. 
everybody considered McGregor the favorite. Everybody picked McGregor. He beat McGregor, and that's why everybody suddenly considered him to be the uncrowned champ. But McGregor's not elite, man. Look at McGregor's recent record, right? Beating McGregor. I, I think I think there's some of that. I think you're underestimating um, the, how his stock rise with the when he pieced up Max Holloway. I understand that he was a bigger guy, but that was a dominant victory against a very elite performer. It, it was a it was a phenomenal win by him against and Ga- and Gagey's stock has only gone up since Poirier beat him. No Those doubt are about two it. guys within. With, those are two guys with 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 rising stock, who Poirier uh, defeated. But can, can you say and, and that Eddie Alvarez, his win over Gaethje, like does that make him elite now? Um, no, right. It was a good win. It was a quality no. win over a young guy who just entered the UFC in his first couple of fights, who wasn't ready for this shit yet. Granted, he had had right. you know eighteen wins outside the UFC, uh, but or seventeen. I was just saying that there's more. I'll, my only point is, Stan, is that there's more things contributing to people's perspective of Dustin Poirier as an elite fighter than his victory over Connor. I, I think for the casuals, that's that that would have been the case. Well, okay. but his victories over opponents like Holloway and Gagey like has given him credibility. Well, certainly, and he deserves all the credibility, uh, most of the credibility that he has. My point is that following the Max Holloway win, he, you know, got beat by Khabib very decisively, right? And then, so like, like to me, that leveled it out. The matchup with him and Hooker, uh, most people considered it close. Most people, I think, edged toward Poirier, and it was a fucking war. And like, the only reason that he beat Dan Hooker is because Dan Hooker was absolutely exhausted in the last two rounds of that fight, because Dan Hooker had won. I think it was the. I think he won the first round or the third round, if I'm not mistaken. It's been it's been uh, now over a week since I, about a week since I watched that uh, fight. But Dan Hooker won the first round and the third round. Dan Hooker then was exhausted and couldn't really do a damn thing, and he still got takedowns against um, uh, against uh, Poirier, right? And again, those Conor McGregor wins to me. That's what made me think he's the guy, if not for Khabib. And then when I examined his record, when I examined Oliveira's performances, I examined the level of Oliveira's opposition, right? Like. Think about it. he beat Dustin Poirier, he's a very successful UFC fighter last night. He beat Michael Chandler, who, you know, not elite in my opinion, but a successful fighter overall. Tony Ferguson wasn't on a winning streak, but a successful fighter. Kevin Lee was overall a successful fighter. Jared Gordon is a successful fighter at a lower level. Nick Lentz is a successful fighter. David Tamer, um, I, I think, was either was either undefeated or only had one loss leading into that Oliver fight. Jim Miller's good. Christos Chiagos is pretty good. Clay Guida's not a bad fighter, right? All the people that he beat are pretty good for their level. With those last couple of wins over Poirier and Ferguson, obviously being like the old guard of the elite, right? But again, like he is the new, he is part of that new guard, dude. Like he is, he has put it all together in a way that he couldn't when he was way younger. He's got a great team behind him. He's showing heart now. Clearly, they're doing the mental training that he needs to do in order to be at the top of this division. And to be honest with you, at this as of this moment, it might be recency bias. As of this moment, I'm ready to pick him over Gaethje because if this fight hits the ground for a second, it's over. And Michael Chandler dropped Oliveira. That's true. Like, it, it somewhat dropped him. But then Oliveira knocked him the fuck out. Gaethje couldn't. There is a point to that, right? There is there is an argument to be made there, and you know you made you made the argument that yep. um, Poirier also has serious power, and you know, and so he should be able to hurt him and, and maybe finish him. And I I still don't think Poirier has the kind of power that Chandler does. Although I should say specifically in the first round, although Poirier did drop him as well. Uh, I think I think uh, he's clearly clearly 
head and shoulders above everyone else except for guys like Makachev and Daryush, which are part of the new guard. And one of those three guys is probably going to hold the title for a little while uh, following 2022 in all reality. I, I think Makachev is probably the favorite in most people's eyes for that one. But Nick, we have to talk about the co-main event. Amanda Nunes got finished, got submitted. Nick, not even in the fifth round, right? She was exhausted in that second round, and she got finished by Juliana Pena. What were your thoughts on this one, man? My, It was weird. Um, My thoughts are that I believe this was her first bantamweight title defense in two years, right? I believe so, yeah. She had been electing to fight at the third weight division. I mean, I'm not taking anything away from Juliana Pena, but I got to believe the cut had something to do with this. I haven't seen a drop-off like this since Brock Shane Carwin. Like, Amanda Nunes won the, like, the first round seemed like, a, you know, like a lion playing with her food. I felt like she, um, she, was landing, she was landing big shots. She was, when Pena tried to take her down, Nunes reversed, the, reversed it and, and, and slammed her. Um, it seemed like Nunes was in, was in complete control. It was a, it was a busy round. But nothing happened in that first round to lead me to believe that uh, that Pena was going to have anything for her. Yeah, except and for Pena boy, surviving, really. That was the only thing she did. Well, yeah, she's, she's, but a lot of people have survived against Nunes because Nunes does, is, is a, is, does fight cautiously. At times so she, she does, survived. Yeah. But um, into that second round, I, I really think, um, I think Nunes was – I think Nunes was already gassed um, when the second round started. And I don't know if she panicked or when she got hit, a shot surprised her and depleted her gas tank further. But I think, I mean, I think that she tapped because she knew that she just, I think she had, she had nothing left. Like Juliana Pena had, had snatched her soul. And I think, but I got to believe that the, I believe that the weight cut had to contribute to that. And then maybe we're not going to see her at 135 again. I don't know. Yeah, there's a fair chance. And there were rumors going on going around even a year ago about how she might never cut down to 135 again. But I will say, she looked good on the scale. She looked incredibly in shape all week. She looked in the best shape I'd seen her in a while. Maybe ever. Like, like clearly but toned, clearly muscular, right? More so than great. usual. And she didn't look depleted at the weigh-in. But you might be right. Like, it's the same thing with Cordy Garbrandt. Same thing with TJ Dillashaw a couple of years ago, right? Where you, you cut down to a weight that your maybe your body shouldn't be at. Maybe the 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 water depletion um, all over your body, including your brain, contributed to it, right? Because that water doesn't refill in the brain. Uh, the, the the liquid in the brain doesn't replenish within 24 hours after the weigh-in. So absolutely, that could be a factor. Here's the thing. Um, at the end of round one, Juliana's corner was uh, like she seemed a little bit like semi disappointed her in her uh, work that round. And Rick Little, her head coach, who I think is also her boyfriend or, or husband, said to her. Um, that's fine. You made her work. You did great that round, right? Clearly part of their game plan was to make Amanda Nunes work at a high pace in hopes that she tires, maybe the weight cut being on their mind about this as well, knowing that she's a big girl for the division. But more importantly, in that second round, man, they were standing in front of each other. Juliana Pena's jab started landing early in that second round, and it kept popping Amanda Nunes. And I think that Amanda, much like Cyborg when she fought Amanda, she felt like this holy shit, this chick just hit me hard. And that first right hand that landed by Penny that hurt Amanda. Um, 
I think what went through Amanda Nunez's mind was, this chick has no business clocking me like that. I'm going to get her. Same exact thing that went through Cyborg's mind, I'm sure, when she fought Amanda Nunez, when Amanda first clocked her. Cyborg decided, I'm just going to brawl with her. I'm going to show her who's boss. And it went against her. Juliana Pena clearly uh, did. It was funny. She was moving just enough, and I don't know if it was intentional or because she was nervous or because she was putting herself slightly out of position, throwing her own offense. Amanda Nunez was not able to land clean on her, but somehow Pena kept landing clean on Nunez because Nunez would just run right into Pena's strikes, right? Pena clearly yes. had the game plan of not only jabbing, but countering Nunez. She was doing a pretty good job of it. Technically, it wasn't amazing, although the punches were coming in pretty straight. Her elbows were flared out before she was throwing them, so there was a tell, but Amanda Nunez still ran into every one, and I think it was just an example of basically a lion playing with uh, its food not realizing that its food was like chewing away at its throat or something at the same, like it's, it's kind of crazy how that worked out, but yeah. Nunez was clearly hurt on the feet. And when you get rocked on the feet, Nick, for some people more than others, especially depending on your conditioning, it can make you really tired, much like a clean body shot can, right? Where that's, suddenly, that's what it felt like. Right? Yeah. Suddenly you just feel exhausted. And that's where Amanda Nunez seemed to be. And you're right. She gave in, man. Like she could have gotten out of that position. She actually wanted to. We spoke about how people like Conor McGregor, once things get tough, they just want to find a way out. Right. And they'll, and they'll just, they'll, They'll, they'll keep their hands down and make it easy to choke them and then quickly tap shortly after. That's kind of how this seemed to me, right? And then you have guys like Rafael Fazia, for example, who is an example of a guy who gets tired in the third round but still pushes himself 100%, realizing that he can still get plenty done even when he's tired, right? You can mentally push yourself through that. Man, Amanda Nunes was not ready for it. She hasn't really seen um, any bad moments in fights for a long time. She was on that 12-fight winning streak. And man, she reacted really badly to this one. Yeah, she didn't ask for the rematch after, which was uh, I was somewhat surprised about. Maybe she has no plans to, of cutting down to 135 anymore, but then they're going to keep that 145 division on, and people like Felicia Spencer are retired, and then she just ran through Megan Anderson, and she has absolutely nobody else to fight at 145. So she's in a tough position, man, um, stuck between two fairly bad divisions, and the better one, the better of those two divisions where she was just beat, she might not be able to make that weight anymore. Weird situation for Amanda, man. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think everyone was just totally shocked. Everyone except for Juliana Pena. You know, good for her. I just I, She had not shown me anything in any fights previously that led me to believe that she was going to be the problem fighter for Amanda Nunes. No, absolutely not. Um, and that's another know, thing is that Amanda that talked everywhere about. by Jermaine Durandamy. It's, right. it's a fighter who's never really displayed much power before. I, yeah. I sometimes... You know, but this is big. I mean, this is bigger than Sarah GSP. It, it really is for many reasons. One of which, Nick and Amanda talked about this leading into this fight, is that she lost two of her last four fights uh, going into this title match. She had a one fight winning streak going into this match. And Nick, of those four fights that I'm discussing, Valentina Shevchenko finished her. Nico Montana was doing really well in the first round before Penny was able to take over in the second and third rounds. Jermaine Durandamy. Um, it was like, she, I think Jermaine had a good first round. Pena had a good second round. Pena got a takedown in the third and then got submitted, right? So she didn't win every round there either. Sarah McMahon dominated her until that third round in which Sarah McMahon was tired and panicked like she usually does. And, and, uh, Pena was able to finish her. So Pena didn't even look very good in those prior matchups. In my opinion, Sarah McMahon, Jermaine Durandamy, Nico Montano, and Valentina Shevchenko all had better moments against uh, Pena then did Nunez. So it was just a weird, weird set of cir circumstances. I, did, I mean, I did think Nunez pretty much did whatever she wanted in the first round, but, um, but she, 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 she was did, a little it, cautious. It seemed like, it, I don't know um, if she was that cautious. It seemed like it was coming to her more difficult than she anticipated. And Pena's known as like a very strong, physically just strong fighter, right? Like 
girls that clinch up with her. I think she was able to, if I, if I remember correctly, she was able to take down Valentina Shevchenko. Not a, lot, not a whole lot of women are able to do that, right, before Shevchenko armbarred her, of course. So, like, there's a strength element to it as well. Jermaine Durandamy is not a small 135-er, and she was having her way with her toward the end of that fight before she was finished. So there is a strength element to it, too. I think Nunes was kind of taken back. And she dropped her a couple bit. times also. She did, yeah, at least, at least once, although it was like a weird situation. It looked like... Could have also been a balancing thing. It looked like one of those Oliveira uh, droppings where like, she almost like helps herself to the floor with her hand on the way down. It's so Yeah, so I felt odd. like there were two. There was one that could have been a slip and another was from a shot. Yeah, I think, I think you're probably right. Regardless, very weird. I mean, Nunez was super classy after the fight. But yeah, she looked. She did not look good after the first round. I mean, we've never considered her a one-round fighter before. So I don't know. Someone was mentioning, I can't remember if it was Ariel Hawani, that... that um, that Nunez was favoring her ribs during the post-fight interview that she touched him several times and wondered if there was a story that was going to come out about an injury. Interesting. It just seems, it just seems so weird, but sometimes <laughs> it's, it's for people, it's just not their night. No, you're, you're not kidding. And man, she looked about as flat, certainly in that second round as did uh, Blahovich a couple of, a few weeks ago when he lost his title. So man, fascinating series of events and Nick it wasn't only a bad night for American top team in the co-main and the main um, it was also a bad night for Brazilians predominantly outside of Oliveira uh, really rough for, night. Uh, Bruno Silva also uh, Br- Bruno Silva did pick up a win that's fair uh, Ponzinibbio lost although Ponzinibbio sorry he is not Brazilian I should he's Argentinian you're isn't right he? you're absolutely right he's Argentinian Paiva got knocked out by Sean O'Malley, uh, Pedro Munoz lost to Dominic Cruz. Augusto Sakai got knocked out by Taito Ivasa. You know what? Question, question. Yeah. Do you think that there, listen, I think Dominic Cruz was amazing. He fought, um, a really good fight. He came back after those knockdowns and he yep. looked so good in the second and third. He did. But do you think there's any case that that first round's a 10, eight? Cause I mean, Munoz dropped him twice big. I thought the second knockdown was even worse than the first. He kind of face planted. Well, to be honest, I, um, I felt like Cruz was winning the round outside of that, which um, he had been, they were just two big knockdowns. I, so, I, th- yeah. I think, okay. I think there's a case to be made, but then if we're talking about a situation in which like, like it would be a draw rather than what it was. And like a situation where the guy that lost the first round dominantly ended up winning the following two rounds. Like it gets tricky in that situation. And you also have to yeah, look at the does. fact that I, I don't know that I would have given it a 10, eight. I was just curious. Yeah. About the, well, yeah, you have to, you also, you have to factor in that Cruz landed at 49% in the first round, despite being hurt a couple of times. And he landed more strikes than Pedro Munoz did. Despite the fact that Pedro Munoz swarmed him after hurting him. So like, you know, hard to make that argument, I think, given the stats in that matchup. Because I thought Cruz was controlling the entire round until, you know, I think it was maybe yeah. with a minute and a half left or something where he got buzzed. And then he was fine at the very end of the round, came back and won the uh, other two rounds. Although I will say, looks to me like, oh, I see. I, I think maybe Pedro Munoz had more significant strikes in the second round. But overall, Dominic Cruz certainly had way higher output and was able to do uh, a lot more there. Man, Dominic Cruz, man, still, still has it, dude. Especially against a guy like Pedro Munoz, who's clearly past his prime, figured out at this point. And I talked about this last week again. He's a guy that has become more technical, and I think it's to his detriment. Um, a guy being as slow as he is, it's not ideal to be like that technical, especially when your style is to be a kind of a pressure fighter with serious power, with a dangerous guillotine, with a dangerous ground game. And you're kind of sitting on the back foot and waiting for your opponent to do shit so that you can have opportunities. I think whatever technical things that he's been working on over the last few years have done the absolute worst case for him. I think his original style of being a pressure fighter was way better for him, man. He was in a much better place prior to his last four fights. Lost to Dominic Cruz, Jose Aldo, Frankie Edgar, and Aljamain Sterling. 
in, in, in the last few fights with that one win over Jimmy Rivera, man. He's on a bad, bad skid. And I think him becoming more technical is to his detriment. I really do at this point. Dominic Cruz. Johnny Walker syndrome. Yeah, maybe a little um, bit of that. I think you might be right. Um, we have Joff Neal, who picked up a, a very close competitive decision. Yeah, I thought this was bullshit. I thought Ponzinibbio won the first and second round pretty clearly. I definitely think Neal won the third going away. And he won the third by a wider margin than Neal won the first or the second. I mean, sorry, the Ponzinibbio won the first or the second, but... I think Ponzinibbio got jobbed here. Well, let me see. I'm looking at the stats here. Um, it does show that Ponzinibbio threw more and landed more in that first round. And I thought that Ponzinibbio's late surge in the first round, where he landed some clean shots late in that round, I thought that would kind of tip the scales in his favor. I thought that the judges would have put a little more emphasis on that rather than the middle of the round where Joff Neal was able to style on him a little bit. And then that second round, Ponzinibbio clearly won. Joff Neal came back in that third round, man, and he like he got good advice in the corner. He was told to basically stop swinging for knockouts and just score points. Just win this round. And he did that, man. And he, he had some really nice combos. He really did, man. He looked really good. The guy's talented. He's fast as hell. He's incredibly athletic. And, you know, whatever he went through a couple of weeks notwithstanding, seems to have a good head on his shoulders. He, he seems to be like a reasonable, logical guy. Um, and he really put it all together against Ponzinibbio. Again, a competitive fight. These two are like in the tier below, I would say, the elite at 170. Not far below. They're still really solid fighters, but they are like, you know, what Pedro Munoz and Marlon Vera are at 135. I would say that's where Joff Neal and Ponzinibbio are. Like, they face some of the top guys. They're not quite in that level, but they are able to vanquish some uh, up-and-comers on the way up, and, and they're able to still beat some top 10 uh, opposition. Uh, good performance by Joff Neal, man. I, I thought he made a pretty good accounting of himself, especially given the two-fight skit he was on. And then we got to talk about Cody Garbrandt, Kaikara France. Kaikara France, Oof. Nick, uh, I think his nickname was Don't Blink, and forever I made fun of it because in the UFC, he had non-stop decisions. I'm looking at his, uh, I'm looking at his record since 2017, all the way up to 2000 and. 21, Nick, he had not had a finish, offensive finish. Uh, wait, no, th there was one Rene choke, but certainly no knockouts, right? For a guy whose name is Don't Blink, you would think that would be a part of the game. But Brandon Royval, man, he he got hurt by Brandon Royval, lost that fight, went on to beat Rogerio Bontarin, who was a top-ranked guy at the time, knocked him the fuck out after losing the first few minutes of the of the round. So clearly, like, there's a new power dynamic in his in his style. And then he did the same thing to Cordy Garbrandt, who's got a questionable chin, who was cutting down to 125 for the first time in his career, uh, you know, on top of the questionable chin, was able to just get rid of him, man. A much bigger man who was faster. He was able to just land the big right hands and end the night. Really impressive stuff by Kakar friends. Made City kickboxing look like a, like a group of geniuses, honestly. Yeah, I don't know what you can do with Cody Garbrandt now. He's he's in a terrible place. He needs to take a full fucking year off if he's smart. And his next matchup needs to be against a grappler who has zero, zero knockdowns on his resume. That's like he's got to come up slowly. And also I think switching to Mark Henry for Cody Garbrandt is not best case scenario either. I don't think No, I mean no one's no one none of the Mark Henry guys have been doing very well, have they? I I guess maybe you're right lately. Um although it makes me wonder who exactly is in that camp. Um he's still listed as a team alpha male fighter. So I'd I'd like to look at who else is in that camp. But yeah, I guess not. Um we had uh Frankie Edgar who got a recent loss. We had 
Somebody else who Marais Barbosa aren't those all the guys that, that uh, are well guys? I think both Barbosa and Marais actually switched to American Top Team uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah. So neither of those guys are still there. But yeah, man, uh, not in a great place. And Cordy Garbrandt was the guy who again had already a lot of holes in his game. This just like given his talents and his speed and and what he's actually good at, this is not the right camp for him. This is not the right style. Being a defensive, footwork minded fighter on paper sounds good for a guy with a bad chin. But I think like he needs to focus a little more maybe on his offensive ground game. He can be pretty good from top position. He's got good wrestling. Maybe he needs to get some takedowns and pound guys out. Kaikar France doesn't have a very good ground game. He's been taken down. He's been submitted. That would be the way to win this fight. And he only tried to do that, Cody Garbrandt did, after he was buzzed on the feet. So I think that there, there needs to be a lot of changes uh, in for him. But he's never going to be a top top fighter i think that's way past uh you know, like we're, we're just so weird because i mean you have a guy who's responsible for that i mean some that performance against cruz is just one of the all-time great championship fight really performances is. you are you are not kidding but i think it was a combination of his speed uh his power in his hands the fact that cruz you know was already on the latter half of his career and the fact that um cody garbrandt trained at a camp that was extremely used to getting ready for and training for uh, Dominic Cruz, right? They they knew his style exactly. Danny Castillo was able to mimic Dominic, Dominic Cruz's movements exactly. And I spoke about this as well, that Dominic Cruz is pretty uh, predictable. He's unorthodox, right? But he does the exact same six or seven things every single fight. And the elite were able to spot those six or seven things. The elite like uh, like um, uh, Henry Cesar Cejudo. In the middle. Uh, sorry? Yep. And, ca- and they spot... To basically break down those six and seven things, exactly. like a pattern in a, when you're exactly. fighting a boss in a video game, and get him right, get him right in the transition. Exactly, Henry Cejudo right took advantage of the fact that uh, often enough, Cruz ducks his head in like a boxer forward, potentially right into a knee. Henry Cejudo was setting up setting up that situation with his leg kicks, with his consistent leg kicks against the guy with good footwork, and then when Dominic Cruz uh, did one of his duck in things, Henry Cejudo was ready with that knee. He hurt him and finished him. Cody Garbrandt knew the exact combos he was going to throw because he was slipping and ducking everything. And you saw in the warm-up leading up to that fight that night, actually, the, the, that night of the pay-per-view, uh, Nunes versus Rousey, that was, you saw that Cody Garbrandt was warming up with Danny Castillo, who was mimicking Dominic Cruz exactly. Like what Danny Castillo was doing in that training room looked to me exactly like what Dominic Cruz does. So Cody was really, really ready for that. If you look outside of that, Cody did beat, um, like what are his wins that are really of note? He beat a sunset, which was impressive, in a fight that he was arguably losing recently, right? He beat, I mean, outside of Dominic Cruz, he doesn't have yeah, any. Thomas Almeida hasn't aged well, getting Takaya yeah. Mizugaki out of there. Yeah, it was his big win. Was, his big win was Dominic Cruz. And that's it, right? Like, Rafael Sunset and Dominic Cruz, both respectable wins. Um, and, and I mean, he hasn't really done anything outside of that. Lost a, a bunch of I mean, of he's, guys. he's one, in, yeah, he's one in five since the cruise fight, really which bad, was six man. years ago. Yeah, it really oh, is well, five years, five years ago. And I'm assuming at this point, the UFC like realizes he's not a guy to promote, like let's move on with our lives. You can, you know, you can have him basically go up against prospects that are going to beat him rather than trying to give him a setup fight. Like they did with Kaikar France thinking France doesn't have a lot of power. He's way smaller this would be a good entry for Garbrandt. Um, I think that's over now. I hope the USC realizes that they don't need to pay for Cody Garbrandt's suits anymore and, and all of that shit that they've been doing for him uh, over the years. Like, he's not a that promotable of a fighter. He's an intriguing guy. He's not very bright, right? Like, he gets out-talked by just about everybody that tries. Um, and I think that's part of it. He's not super smart, and he makes bad decisions in there. Um, on top of the bad decision that he made, I think, going to Mark Henry, which just wasn't the right matchup for him. Uh, then we have Sean O'Malley, Julian Paiva. Uh, you know, as much as I was rooting for Paiva and I thought that he had a shot if he made it through the first round, 
it was the speed difference. It was the size difference that concerned me, this power difference that concerned me. Also, Julian Paiva, who did a really great job in his last fight of beating Sean O'Malley's training partner and Kyler Phillips. Kyler Phillips knocked him down and hurt him in that first round. And if Kyler Phillips can do that to you, certainly Sean O'Malley can and worse. And that's how it worked out, man. After a competitive couple of minutes, Sean O'Malley landed, I think it was the right hand, if not the left hook. It was a right, it was a, it was a right hand um, right against it was kind of the right hand version of the of the left hand that Connor, uh, I believe yeah, Connor knocked out for you with the left hand versus right. step back, step back right, right above the ear, uh, to the at the back towards the back of the head, um, just to the side of the temple. I actually thought he got and him right on the jaw, but you you might be right. It was certainly the side. I think I think that no, that I think that was after. Um, I think I he got back up and tried. I think punch. I believe yeah. that I believe the first one that put him in trouble was one of those shots on the, on the top side of the head behind the temple. It also makes sense when a guy's um, dancing around and he loses his balance. It's usually from a shot to the temple, so that, that does make a lot of sense, Nick. Yeah, man, Sean O'Malley. And then, well, the one he finished to the jaw was after he got the temple shot, which put him on, on funny legs, is he threw, and I don't like Sean O'Malley at all, he threw a gorgeous left hand to the body, followed up with that right hand. That's right, that's upstairs. right. Upstairs. That's right. And it brought, the shot to the body brought, brought, uh, brought his hand right down and then boom lights out. I mean, good, really, really, really good combination striking. I still think against the grapplers in the division, he's, he's completely fucked. I think somebody like, um, Devashvili is going to, is, you know, is his worst nightmare. Uh, I would tend to agree. Although given how Devashvili was hurt by Marais, by this version of Marais, current day version of Marais almost finished, Shadow O'Malley can actually finish that fight if he tags you like that, and he certainly can. He's got a huge size advantage. But you're right. I think like after a round and a half, two rounds of Valshvili hanging he on, he could him, be. I, th- I think Morais is a much better wrestler than Sean O'Malley is. Uh, Morais is a better wrestler than Sean O'Malley is, and certainly Devashvili is a better wrestler than Sean O'Malley is. Uh, but yeah, I, I definitely agree with you there. I, I think in all likelihood, I think any like pressure hitter who's actually going to put good pressure on him, has a good chin and good defense, is probably going to beat O'Malley, realistically. Like, you know, somebody on the top five, six range, to be fair. And that's exactly the people that Sean O'Malley wants to avoid fighting. So I don't know that we're going to see that anytime soon. Dana White recently, I think, was goading O'Malley a little bit. And when he was asked why O'Malley's not fighting ranked opponents, and he was like, you can't just throw him in there like that. It's, you know, you can't just, he's not Kamzat Shemaev. But then when you look at the stats, O'Malley's been fighting in the UFC ever since 2017. He has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. He has eight fights into his UFC career, and he's saying he can't throw them into the fire like that. Dana White often has guys debuting, making their debuts against uh, against top ten, top fifteen competition. But Sean O'Malley, eight fights yeah, in, I mean, seven and one of the UFC of, can't. That's ridiculous. I see a couple of choices for him. You throw him in there with Edgar, which I don't like. I hope they don't do that. You give him the winner of Ricky Simone, Rafael Asuncao, which is most likely going to be Ricky Simone. Or this would be crazy, but this would be the—I mean, this would be the big bold one to do. You give him the cruise. Yeah, I mean, they're not he, that he, far away. You know. He has been building toward that, right? O'Malley's been talking shit to Cruz. The nonstop storyline for him was not about Paiva or his his own career. Nonstop story was that he is fighting above Cruz, later than Cruz on this card with Cruz on the prelims. And O'Malley on the pay per view main card opening the pay per view main card. Granted, so they're both great talkers. It would be. Yeah, I don't uh, think Cruz would tremendous. take that fight though. Cruz has nothing to gain and everything to lose. 
He's not stupid. He doesn't want to fight these guys up, up and coming. Well, what else? I mean, but what else? It could be big money, though. Like, what else is there for, for Dominic you, Cruz? You think the UFC point? would pay Dominic Cruz any more money to fight freaking Sean O'Malley? I'm not so sure, dude. I mean, th- there's a chance that Dominic Cruz might be like, give me 500 grand and I'll fight him or something. But Well, I, I, don't, know if the, I don't know if they get more money when they're headlining fight nights, et cetera. Nah, definitely but not. I'm just not, I, mean, I don't see a, a lot of guys. I don't see a lot of guys above O'Malley that are, uh, that are interesting fights. Well, when you say interesting, that have a high chance of beating him, I assume is what you mean, right? I mean that, well, I mean that pushing him forward. Uh, you could put him in against uh, Yadong Song, I suppose. Yeah, I think Yadong right, Song, yeah. Cody Stamen might make sense. I think Rafael Sunsau, I know he's got a matchup coming up. That one makes sense. Uh, Pedro Munoz, given the losing streak, I'm sure, I'm sure O'Malley would take that. Pedro Munoz is at number eight, so he's got like a lot to gain and almost nothing to lose with that matchup. To be fair, Pedro Munoz might climb down to like number 10 or 11 uh, after this matchup, uh, after this loss to Dominic Cruz. But yeah, look, there, there's there's potential for him, but we also probably should be looking outside of the top 15 because that's probably who's going to end up fighting because that's what the UFC has yeah. been doing. For I him. mean, they, they did, he didn't do the standoff with Cody. If Cody goes back to 135, I could see them doing that. Why in the world would Cody be stupid enough to get knocked out again in the first round by a guy that's been teasing him for years? That would um, be so stupid. You just man. talked about how not smart he is, didn't you? You're not fucking kidding. There's there's actually a chance he might. That's just so stupid, Nick. Um, and then we have Josh Emmett, Danny Gay. A good fight, man. A solid fight. This could have been a main event on a fight night card. And Josh Emmett clearly won the first round. Danny Gay came on strong in that second. And Josh Emmett put it together again in that third round and en- ended up uh, edging him out. Really good performance by Emmett, who came back. and he Yeah, a good fight. Emmett's got to mix it up a little bit more, though. He, he, he sits on that right hand. And it's a great right hand. But he, like... He Dan Hendo's it a bit. Like I feel like there's more things he can be doing. I think he, I felt like he let Ige uh, back in the fight because he was just going for the same thing over and over again. Yeah, I mean you might be right, but I mean any way you put it, Josh, I meant in my opinion still the hardest hitter at 145 pounds. Nick, the guy has a knockdown in against Dan Ige, two knockdowns against Shane Burgos. He's got a knockdown against Mursad Bektik, knockdown against Michael Johnson. He's got a knockdown against Jeremy Stevens in a fight that he lost. He knocked down Ricardo Lamos. He knocked down Felipe Arantes four times. Nick, in his last one, two, three, four, five, he six. He throws bombs. In his, last, in his last seven fights, Nick, he has gotten six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven knockdowns. The guy is incredibly, incredibly powerful. And on top of that, he's a good wrestler. He's 36 years old, though. It's kind of either now or never. Who would you match up? Uh, uh, who, who would you match him up next, Nikolai? Oh boy, that's a good question. I've got to go. This is one forty-five, on right? Um, I know. Yeah, I'm on the website. I just. Uh, how about the winner of Mofsar Evloev versus uh, who was that? Uh, who's Mo- uh, Evloev uh, matched up with for next uh, for for the next couple of weeks? The guy that just beat. Uh, sorry, give me a second. My brow, my browser just completely flaked on me. Um, hold on, Evloev is fighting. This is this is gonna kill me until I look it up. Hold on, he's fighting Taporia next, and I think the winner of that matchup, I think, makes a lot of sense for Emmett. Now, granted, that's a little bit of a pullback for Emmett as far as the rankings, right? Like, yeah, I got a, I got a better idea. What do you have? Yair Rodriguez, uh, Nick. No, the winner, the winner of Qatar Chikadze. I'm definitely into that. I wouldn't be surprised. If Chikadze wins that fight, he's going to ask for a title shot. He has a chance of getting it. I think he has a decent chance. I don't think of you can get it. a title shot off of Calvin, off of beating Qatar. But, well, Qatar is um, number five. Uh, other people have gotten title shots off of beating him. It's not, uh, or I, I think they have. Like, he's a, he's a top five guy. 
Um, and I, I could, I could, here's the thing. Chicago. I mean, the other guy's a guy we don't see a lot. That's very high in the rankings. Just isn't that active, which is Josh Emmett, Arnold Allen, Josh Emmett, Arnold Allen. Yeah. I'm into that. Arnold Allen is a serious prospect. Josh. Emmett, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely into that. I think, I mean, Allen's been around forever. He's not really a prospect anymore. He just doesn't fight. No, a lot. you're right. He's a, he's a contender at this point, especially after that win, uh, after his last win over Sadiq Yusuf. Um, yeah, I think, look, Yair Rodriguez, Brian Ortega, Max Holloway, if Holloway, you know, if Holloway's not fighting for the title next, any of those matchups I think makes sense for Emmett because Emmett presumably would want to get in for the title next, and that would be his key is beating one of those top three ranked guys. And I think like he has a shot at any one of those fights. I I I, I could see myself picking somebody like Max Holloway over him certainly, but Ortega and Yara Rodriguez, I think those would be very intriguing matchups for a lot of reasons. And again, he's 36 years old. Josh Emmett needs to do it now or never if he wants to be champion. He's got to work his way up. He's 17 and two, man. That's an incredible fucking record considering how stacked this division is. Uh, and then Dominic Cruz, Pedro Munoz, we already talked about. Tai Tuivasa, Augusto Sakai. Man, Tuivasa just, he has insane power. He's incredibly quick. He's incredibly athletic. And ever since getting just a taste of what AKA, what high level mixed martial arts training is about, He's become a different fighter, it seems like. He's become so much more effective physically in better shape, and he's using all of his tools, man. He knocked Augusto Sakai the fuck out, man. Just just blew right through him in that second round. Yeah, look, I mean, he's fast. He hits hard. He's um, he's loose. Good. I mean, and Sakai just is not – he's been on a downhill run for a while now. I don't know that we're going to – I mean, it's a, it's a hard division to get cut in. But I uh, I don't know where he's at with his contract, but he he certainly hasn't shown a lot in his last few fights. Yeah, he's also probably pretty expensive for a guy that's on a three fight losing streak and who very few people have heard of. So I could see the UFC either cutting him or restructuring his contract so that he pays he gets paid like forty or fifty grand per fight instead of instead of probably close to a hundred. I assume. Uh, that he's contracted for as of right now, but Taitu Vasa, man, let's give him somebody ranked. I, I think I think he's ready for a legitimate heavyweight opponent again. It's been a little while since he was on that bit of a skid. I would love to see Tuivasa facing off. I mean, Aspinall would knock off um, would knock off a prospect, which I wouldn't love to see. But I mean, this is going to place him in that top eleven. This win would um, Shamil Abdurahimov makes sense. Rosenstrike makes sense to me. Volkov, I wouldn't complain ready for, about. You think he's ready for Volkov? Yeah, let's let's put him in there. Like he's why not? Volkov didn't look amazing in his last fight. In his last fight, anyway, even though it was a win, I'd say that's an interesting matchup to make. Hopefully, a five rounder. I think it have a it would have a lot of intrigue. And man, Volkov has been knocked out before. Tuivasa can knock I think anybody out. So it's entirely possible that uh, Tuivasa can can take that one. And worst case, if Volkov wins, it is what it is. Um, and then we have uh, Bruno Silva, Jordan Wright. It's about what we expected. Bruno Silva hits very hard. Jordan Wright doesn't have a great chin. You know, the first time Bruno Silva exploded was the end of the fight after Jordan Wright looked pretty good for about a minute there. Uh, Bruno Silva just has insane power, excellent ground and pound. He's 22 and 6 overall, Nick, and right now on a seven fight winning streak, three of those fights in the UFC, beating guys like Wellington Terman, Andrew Sanchez, right? Those are higher ranked, in my opinion, opponents than Jordan Wright. So the guy's ready for a bit of a step up. And as far as a step up, who would you who would you see him against at 185? Maybe um, maybe Shabazian, who's on his way out anyway. Nasruddin Imavov or Brat Tavares. I think any of those matchups. Galvin Gastelum, like anybody in that in that 10 to 15 range, I think makes a lot of sense for him given the the trajectory of his career. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to. S- it also be interesting to match him up straight away with the other Brazilian on the card, right? Munoz. 
Muniz, that would be interesting. Muniz. That, that would be, I mean, it would be a prospect versus prospect. I hate eliminating prospects like that, but it's a fantastic fight. It would be so much fun to watch. So I, I'm, I have nothing against that. Um, speaking of Muniz, man, just took Eric Anders down, got position. As Eric Anders he's, was trying to escape, caught a trouble, beautiful man. armbar. That man is nasty, Nick. He's absolutely frightening. If I was anybody at 185, I would you know, be trying to avoid him. I'll take that back. I want to see Muniz against Imavov. I think that's a fight. That's a fun. That's a fun fight. Yeah, I, w- I would love to see that as well. I, I think like Muniz being a specialist, who like we spoke about how Muniz might not be as good of a striker as Eric Anders, but Eric Anders moves in slow motion, and Muniz is fast. On top of that, Muniz has power in his hands. Even though he's not super technical there at all, he's willing to throw. He's willing to take a shot. He has a good chin. So he's got a, he's got a lot of intangibles in his favor as well. I wish he could work a little bit more on that stand-up because he hits hard, right? So if he makes that another weapon, then he's got solid wrestling, excellent Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and really good striking. If he can get himself to that point, then we're looking at a, a, a potentially maybe a future, a future title challenger, certainly a guy that's going to be in that top 10 space probably for a long time to come. Really good work by him. And then Aaron Blanchfield, man. Miranda Maverick, we've seen her get taken down and lose rounds, even in fights that she's won. And Aaron Blanchfield, her wrestling man, her grappling is fantastic. She's got a pressure game. She's 22 years old, and they came in here and beat Miranda Maverick, who John uh, Anik at some point declared like a future champion or whatever. Dominated her, man. Dominated her. Super impressive. I saw these holes in Miranda Maverick. I spoke about time and again about how offensively she's very talented in every regard. Her top game is good. Her wrestling is good offensively. Her striking is good offensively. Defensively, she's very hittable. She's very easy to take down, and she's very easy to control on the floor. She didn't take a lot of damage, but she got controlled for the entire Absolutely. Just, I mean, dominated, really. Like, dominated positionally more than beat up, maybe. But just, like, like Aaron Blatchfield was imposing her will entirely on Miranda Maverick. Maverick had absolutely no answers, even though Maverick just moved to her first, like, legitimate camp. So maybe there's some improvements to be made uh, in the near future. She switched to Elevation Fight Team. Uh, coming from like Norfolk, Virginia. So like a big shift for her, a big life shift. I think she left grad school for the time being for this. So, you know, made a big life change. I, you know, now on a two fight skid, granted one of those fights maybe should have gone her way. You know, she needs a bit of a step back and she needs to work on her fucking defense, man. Like more than anything else, her defense in absolutely every regard. Aaron Batchfield is legit. I hope the UFC slow rolls her up that division. This was like a little bit of a throwing her to the wolves on paper, right? As a 22-year-old girl who only has one fight in the UFC against a mediocre opponent, um, this was a big step up for her. Man, did she perform. She looked absolutely fantastic. And she spoke about uh, Shevchenko, you know, in the post-fight interview she basically said like if i'm going to beat shevchenko i need to improve a lot she's got a good head on her shoulders she's extremely young i hope that they slowly slowly work her way up and i hope it's against people like roxanne matafari who i know is going into a retirement fight girls like cynthia calvillo jessica i um and you know girls that are kind of on the back end of their careers on the back end of their residence in the top 15 I hope they don't throw her to the Wolves, man. Like, this girl seems really, really promising. Her and Casey O'Neill, her and Mano Ferrey. These... Oh, there's, not a lot, there's not a lot of Wolves at 125, so she should be okay. Well, yeah, the Wolves, I would say, are in the up-and-coming up prospects. See, 125 is now looking promising to me for the first time because we've got Casey O'Neill, Mano Ferrey, and, and obviously uh, um, Blanchfield, right? So we have a situation in which these three prospects who could contend for the title and could potentially have a shot at maybe – you know, doing well against Shevchenko, 
with Shevchenko being a year or two older f- from where she is now, um, versus girls who've been forever in that top 10, like Caitlin Shukagan, Lauren Murphy, Jennifer Maya. Uh, we got Talia Santos, who's another serious up-and-comer, right? Like, we've got real promising shit happening in this division. I'm super excited about it because, like, now we're hopefully about to see the Jess guys, the Cynthia Calvillos, the uh, um, uh, Joanne Woods, like get out of that top 15. They don't belong there. Like they, they don't belong. Joanne Wood does not belong at number six in the world. She has no business being there. I don't think she ever had the potential to truly be an elite fighter, to be quite honest with you. She was always like a good, gritty veteran. But these girls, like they are promising. They're showing real skill and very few holes. So I'm super excited. Also, Tracy Cortez is another one who I don't know if she's ranked yet. She's another girl in that weight division who ha- is the only one to beat Blanchfield. Who's another promising prospect. So we're now looking at this division, possibly in the next two or three years, if they don't keep throwing these prospects to Shevchenko, we might be looking at a pretty serious 125 division in the next couple of years, Nick. Very excited about it. Yeah. Ryan Hall, Derek Minner. Uh, Ryan Hall just basically controlled him. Derek Minner had the athletic advantage. He was faster. He hit harder, but he was too stupid. The, the, when Ryan Hall just does this weird thing where he bends over at the waist and just like leans forward toward you, Derek Minner could not help but engage him in grappling. Like it wasn't even a takedown. It was just some weird like fall down. Yeah, his coach was yelling, what are you doing? A hundred percent. And for good reason, man. Derek Minner is just, I mean, he's not a very bright guy. He's another kind of meathead who's got a lot of talent, but doesn't really stay calm, doesn't really conserve his energy, and makes really fucking bad decisions despite good coaching, man. Um, Tony Kelly, fantastic, dominant performance over Randy Kostetz. All you could ask for is an underdog. I, I actually, at, at the last minute, placed a little bit of money on Tony Kelly as well. He came through, man. That was, that was really impressive to see. Any thoughts on that one, Nikolai? No, just that that's how we thought it was going to go. I mean, yeah. we were. Yeah, I mean, I, except yeah, I expected him to get dominated in the first round. I thought, well, not dominated, right. but I thought Randy Costa would piece him up a bit in the first, that Tony Kelly would have too much heart. By the way, Tony Kelly is dating Andrea Lee now, and neither of them have ever looked better. Whatever it is that's happening in their camp, whatever it is they're doing together, it's fucking working. I love it. Let's keep that shit up, man. It's good to see people with talent actually like starting to realize some of their potential. Really cool to see that kind of thing. Uh, Jillian Robertson, late. Last last second rear naked choke in the first round against Priscilla Cachuera, who was landing some pretty big shots, man. She had me worried uh, for Jillian Robertson. And for the, I was gouging the hell out of her eyes. Who was Jillian Robertson was? No, Priscilla uh, was. Priscilla Cachuera. Yeah, was. Priscilla just seems like uh, like she seems like she's kind of from the mean streets. Like she's had probably a pretty rough life leading into this situation she's in now. And you know she works by a different rule. Just bucket, like us, like. Dan. Old, I did grow up in, for the record, I'm from the Soviet Union, and then I grew up in Jamaica, Queens, Nick Lysor. And I'm technically, you know, technically from a lower income neighborhood and uh, went to a really shitty high school. So technically, I I'm grew actually up close to, close to Greenwich, Connecticut, running with the mean street. <laughs> you goddamned privileged asshole, you. <laughs> I was, I was. No, my, my parents are civil servants, but I did live in a, a well, yeah, a wealthy part of the country, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, being exposed um, to being exposed to people like that, going to good schools like that, you know, that can go a long way, I think, and and setting you up for the position you're in now, where you're not, where not you're, when it's Pete Gas, Joey Abs, and Rodney and Shane McMahon. <laughs> where <are> they? They <laughs> were, <laughs> those are the Connecticut vest. guys. That's right. That's right. Those that's are the, that's the Mean Street Posse, man. You don't remember? You remember them? I do. I do actually. I, I remember the Posse. I don't remember the other guys you mentioned. Although there's no, no doubt, like, they, they were the Mean Street Posse. No, those I, those no, were I know. The guys I, but I remember that, like yeah. Shane McMahon being the leader of a of a bunch of nerds. Yes. I don't remember that the was, details of the those, nerds, but those names. Those are were his guys. They were his actual high school friends who. 
Well, two out of three of them were. Then they brought in they brought in another Wait, they guy. They were his high school they, friends. They, I didn't know that, Nick. Fascinating. Yeah, Pete Gass and Rodney were his high school buddies. That's hysterical. It explains it because like they, there's nothing about those guys from what I remember that would make you think, yeah, he's gonna be he's he's WWE material. The WWE will pick him up. It's because they were good friends with uh, with the boss's son. That's very funny. It makes. So much goddamn sense. So, Nick, um, I don't know if we have a whole lot to cover. John Jones being the absolute piece of shit asshole that he is, of course, went on social media afterward and just, like, talked about how this vindicates him. Like, I love how for John Jones and and for Conor McGregor, other people's failures make them feel so fucking good about themselves. It's incredible to me. I can't wait for John Jones to get smoked by whether it be Cyril Ghosn or Francis Ngannou, whoever gets to smash him. I cannot wait for it, Nick. I'm so looking forward to it. I'm going to place a hefty bet on it, and then I'm going to count my dollar bills one at a time. I'm going to feel so good about John Jones. I don't think we're going to see John Jones fight again in the UFC. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I think I said it first about six or seven months ago on the podcast where there's a chance he might not come back because I didn't expect him to actually have the balls to face Ngannou unless it was for a gigantic paycheck. At this point, I do think he'll take the fight for a good paycheck. Um against either particularly he'll take a fight against Cyril because that's less there's less danger there Cyril's not as powerful but man I think either of those guys does the thing to him I think either of those guys beats John Jones I wouldn't walk by and got him on the sidewalk for less than $500 <laughs> you would walk by and ask him for an autograph come on I would not I would just I've seen how he walks by people I don't want that I don't want to deal with that fair, fair, that's very funny fair enough he just like 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 keeps his chin up, doesn't look in your direction. Even if you're like a buddy of his, even if you've trained a bunch together. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking at There's listen, there's a lot to look forward to in the MMA space. Now, even the fight night cards are looking so much better than they once did, where it went from it looking like the UFC is just trying to like fulfill some contracts and give fighters some competition. Now to like, you know, next week we've got Derek Lewis, Chris Dawkins in the main event. Great matchup against an, uh, with an up and comer going up against a, an entrenched, Top five veteran, Stephen Thompson, Bilal Muhammad, a guy on the way up against a guy on the way down, Mendelemos and Angela Hill, another like giving the serious prospect a chance against this veteran who's, you know, entrenched in the top 10, a Sunsau, Ricky Simone. Like this is very like a, this is very, um, very much a passing of the torch event. It seems to me with guys like a Sunsau, Ricky Simone is another example of that Ricky Simone being a young prospect, a Sunsau in the last leg of his career, Diego Ferreira versus Mateos Gamro, Gamro showing a lot of, a lot of potential. Whereas Diego Ferreira, uh, Ferreira realistically is on a two fight skid and, you know, didn't look so good recently. Um, you know, a lot of that storyline is happening here. And Nick, 14 fights to break down for us at some point this week. Oof. Uh, well, I look forward to talking to you, man. We'll Me get, too, uh, We'll get down to it. Is there one more pay-per-view before the end of the year? Or is this, was this it? No, this is the last pay-per-view. I actually think the next pay-per-view is in over a month. I think it's January 22nd, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, and that, that's in Ghanu Gone. Okay. Exactly, which I am very much looking forward to uh, watching. Well, we do, you've we definitely do. locked in the year, the year's victory. So congratulations to you again. Thank you, but thank you, buddy. I felt that I like I had it locked in uh, about three months into this year, and and I'm I'm, I'm glad I I'm glad I held uh, my lead. But Nick, Paul, last uh, year I like, last year I got it down to the wire. You you did yeah. Last I think last couple of seasons you you ended up catching up to me, and it was extremely close toward the end. Uh, th- this is going to be a bit of a runaway, but we do have Paul versus Woodley next week, Nick, and that should be that should be a, like I'm intrigued by that rematch. Would I pay for it? Absolutely not, but. I'm intrigued because Woodley, maybe he'll throw some punches this time. We'll see. Yeah. Nikolai? No Usada. No Usada. No, you, so, uh, okay. I'm, I'm hoping he's taking advantage of it because I'm confident that Jake Paul is taking advantage of, of no 
legitimate governing body uh, testing. Also, I don't know if you know this, but like like the week before um, the week before the younger Fury brother pulled out of that matchup against Jake Paul, um, they his team basically asked if Jake Paul would do like a USADA kind of thing, and Jake Paul of course refused. Which you know, Tommy Fury was the one who pulled out, which makes me all the more confident that like. Jake Paul is probably on some shit and hard to blame him given that I'm sure a lot of people in boxing are uh, but yeah Tyron Woodley better be on some juice he better be aggressive man or he doesn't have much of a shot like, he's gotta stop fucking around he's got no cash to his career left and if he loses this fight especially if he gets finished and he again just refuses to throw any offense 8 3 minute rounds Woodley you can do this come on which if you think about it by the way is 24 minutes of fighting with 7 breaks 7 1 minute breaks right Way better than 25 minutes of playing.